I have been trying to take us through uh, just the understanding of the new covenant. We have talked about new covenant priests, new covenant kings. We have talked about new covenant warfare. Uh, we have talked about the new covenant works. And today we're going to talk about the walk in the new covenant, our walk in the new covenant. And so in Hebrews chapter 8, I want to begin in verse 6. And he says this, and this is speaking about the ministry of Jesus but now has he obtained a more excellent ministry. And, and so what's the, what is this comparing the ministry of Jesus to? Uh, very simply, it's comparing the ministry of Jesus to the ministry of Moses. And we know that Jesus is better than anything. Jesus is better than everything. So whatever comes through Jesus. And it's not that Moses is against Jesus or that Jesus is against Moses. Uh, because obviously Jesus is eternal God. And he was the one that instituted the Judeo system and the ceremonies and the types and the shadows that would come. As well as the law that would be used to bring lost men to the knowledge of salvation through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is not against Moses. Moses is not against Jesus. Moses longed for the day of Jesus. And, um, but Jesus has a more excellent ministry is what this tells us. And by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant. So think about that for a moment. This is talking about a covenant that's better and so it's not the same as the old covenant. It's a new covenant and it's a better covenant. So if it's better, I, I would assure all of you that you want to be in the better one. Okay. You, 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 the law, Moses was glorious, but it's not as good as Jesus. And so you want to be in the better covenant and it's established upon better promises. Verse six tells us that for if that first covenant had been faultless. So now we're talking about the first one. And so these are the two covenants. That's why we say the first covenant, the second, or the old covenant, the new covenant. We basically speak of it in, in, in pairs. And so this first covenant, if it were faultless, then there would be no need to seek a second. But the first covenant was not faultless. And, and the problem with the first covenant was not the covenant in itself. It was the weakness of men. We could not obey the law of God. And, and so we failed and we broke the law. We have sinned. Therefore, that first covenant is now standing against us. It will testify against us and cause us to suffer the wrath of God. For finding fault with them, speaking of us, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. With the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So in this great, I mean, think about it for just a moment. The old covenant's fault rested in men. It rested in us. It rested in the weakness of our flesh and our inability to fulfill the law of God. So we're told about another covenant, a new covenant, that's better than the old covenant. Because the old covenant could not stand because of men and the weakness of our flesh. Therefore, this new covenant is established upon better promises, and it does not rely upon the performance of men, or we would be back in the same dilemma, because we're going to fail. And so he says this in, in verse 9, that this new covenant is not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, says the Lord. 
So understand in verse 9 this important thing. The new covenant that is in Jesus Christ is not according to the old covenant which Moses established. It's not the same thing. It's absolutely different. And the problem is men have continually tried to combine them. And that is the disaster. And so it's not like that old covenant. God says that in verse 9, very plain. And then he says in verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind before it was on a piece of stone. I will write them in their hearts. So the mind is the intellect. It's the mind of Christ. It's knowing what God wants. But he's also going to write it in our hearts, which is where your desire is. So I'm not only going to let you know what's right and wrong. I'm going to change your desires. I'm going to put it in your heart. And I will be to them a God. And they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. Because the only way into this new covenant is to know the Lord. That's the only way in. It's the new birth. You have to be born again. And if you're not born again, you're not in the new covenant. You can believe all the doctrines of it. But if you're not born again, you're not in the new covenant. You don't have eternal life. Because this is eternal life, according to John, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus whom you've sent. That's eternal life. And so everybody knows the Lord that's in the new covenant from the least to the greatest. And this is beautiful. Verse 12, he says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Brothers, that's new covenant. That's new covenant. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. In the old covenant, it was a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye. The soul that sins, it shall die. There's no repentance in the old covenant. No repentance. No forgiveness in the old covenant. If you sin, you die. And therefore, the purpose of the old covenant was to bring us to a desperate place. I need mercy and I need salvation. Is there anything for me, a wretched sinner? And that provision is, yes, there's a new covenant. I can take you out of the old covenant and spare you all of this wrath by putting you into the new covenant, which is the new birth. And you come into Jesus Christ and you pass from death to life, from judgment to being pardoned. And I give you everything that belongs to him. I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. And so that just simply means there's repentance in the new covenant. There's mercy in the new covenant. There's forgiveness in the new covenant. And I could be merciful to your unrighteousness. This is a legal term. Righteousness is a, is a legal term. And it is, it is the ability to stand right before the judge as though you had never sinned, as though there's no guilt in you. And so God's saying, I can be merciful to your unrighteousness in a legal way because I'm going to legally do this. I'm not going to just, grace is not, oh, well, let's just forget it and pretend it didn't happen. That's not grace. Grace looks fully at it. You have sinned. It has happened and something has to be done. So I will judge my son in your stead. And if you will put your faith in my son, I will include you in his death and I will also include you in his resurrection. 
And I will impute to you his righteousness like I imputed Adam's sin to you. I will impute Jesus' righteousness to you. And like I imputed Adam's death to you, I will impute Jesus' life to you. This is what I'll do. So this is the new covenant. Who wouldn't want to be in it? Most people. Most people don't want to be in it. Most people want to make a good show in the flesh. That's what most people do. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. So verse 12 again, because it's so wonderful. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. Will I remember no more? Wow. Isn't that great? What are you doing with your sins? I hope you give them to God through Jesus because he'll remember them no more. No more. That's such a beautiful thing. In that he says a new covenant. He has made the first old. That's why we call it the old covenant. And now that which decays and wax old is ready to vanish away. You got to let it go. You got to let the old covenant go. You have to do that. In, in chapter 10 of Hebrews, he says this in verse 9. He said, lo, I come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first That's the old covenant that he may establish the second. That's the new covenant. Jesus takes it away. The old covenant, the law, was perfectly fulfilled through Jesus Christ. Every T was crossed. Every I was dotted. Every jot and tittle of the law was completely satisfied through Jesus Christ. Therefore, he was able to take it out of the way. Colossians says he nailed it to his cross Because it was a hindrance to us in getting to God. And so it was removed. Every hindrance has been removed. So I just want you to see chapter 10 verse 9. Jesus took the first away in order to establish the second. You can't have the second if you're still standing with the first. And if you're still standing in the first, you have no part in the second. It's one or the other, not both. We have to understand that. And we have to come to that position. Now, what does God do for people that are in the new covenant? And we understand this new covenant now that God forgives our sins. God is merciful to our unrighteousness. God writes his laws in our minds and in our hearts. So he changes the way we think and he changes the way we feel. He changes what we desire. He changes our reasoning and he gives us his reasoning and his understanding. So in chapter 13 of Hebrews, he tells us this. It's it's. Verse 20 that I would like for you to read with me. Verse 20 and 21. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So God is very powerful because he can raise the dead. He's the God of peace. That's what he desires. So this God of peace that brought again Jesus from the dead. That great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. So the God of peace who brought Jesus from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will. So who's going to do it? You? No. If you think you're going to do it, you're back under the old covenant. The new covenant is God who has power to raise the dead, he raised Jesus from the dead, he's the God of peace, will work through the blood, which is his legal right, 
to undertake in behalf of sinners deliverance and forgiveness, he through the blood of the covenant will work and make you. God will make you. God will do it in you. Now, now this doesn't mean you just sit around with your hands folded and say, okay, well, you know, God's going to do it. I don't read my Bible. I don't have to read my Bible. You know, I don't, I don't go to church. I don't have to go to church. You know, God's going to do it. No, wait a minute. Before you get off track on all of that, that ugly stuff, understand what God's going to do. In verse 21, he's going to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. There is a work, as we've already discussed, in this grace. But God is doing it. And God is working in you. And that's the definition of grace. God working in you. Grace is not God just pardoning your sin. It's not God just being merciful to sinners. Grace, by its definition, is God working in you. And so this is grace, God working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. So is it pleasing to God that we read the Bible and study it? Absolutely. If God's working in you, are you going to have a love for the Bible? Absolutely. Is it pleasing in the sight of God for you to be in church? Absolutely. And if God is working in you, That which is pleasing to him. Do you think God's going to have you at church? Do you think he's going to have you at prayer meeting? Absolutely. If grace is working in you. Absolutely. God is going to make you a follower of Jesus Christ. Because that is pleasing to him. That's the new covenant. Very few like the new covenant. Very few. Most people in our churches today. All across America. Are still stuck in the old covenant. Believe so much about Jesus. Still stuck in the old covenant. And it is our desire, my desire, that you might know the powerful working of God in your life. Because he's going to do all of that that is well-pleasing in his sight. And who gets the glory for it? Look at the kind of prayer life I have. Look how I pray. Look how disciplined I am. Look at the sacrifices that I make for God. I go around like that. Who's getting the glory? I am. I am because I'm boasting about my prayer life. I'm boasting about my Bible knowledge. I'm boasting about my type of Christianity. I'm boasting about my holiness. I'm drawing attention to me. But if God's doing it in me, if God's doing the work, if God's making me, and my life has changed in regards to prayer, in regards to the love of his word, in regards to my relationship with the church, and my whole life has changed mentally and emotionally about that, then how can I take the credit for that? I can only say that God has done something in me. All glory be to God. Because if it weren't for God and it weren't for his grace, I wouldn't be at church today. I wouldn't be at prayer meeting if it wasn't for God and for his grace. So these things matter greatly to us. And I want you to go to Ephesians now, Ephesians chapter 1. And I want you to see an aspect of what Paul celebrates. I talked to you a moment about grace. Grace is foundational in the new covenant, for, for we know that Jesus, when he came into the world, he brought grace. And so grace is foundational to the new covenant. And remember, grace is God working in you. It's God's divine influence in your life. And so that's, that's, that's it. Now, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, he celebrates grace. And I'd like to read most of this chapter with you. And he says this. These are, this is written to the saints, verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Isn't that a great 
great introduction. That's, that's beautiful. I mean, what would you want to hear from God? Judgment and wrath from God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, to all of you, brethren. No. Grace and peace. Wow. God did it. And he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And you just take note of the word in, because if you're not in Christ, these are not yours. You have to be in him for these to be yours. <clears throat> According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Wow. That's amazing. So many people shoot grace down today. And here's the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, praising it. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Why? Because it is through this that God has made us accepted in the beloved. There's no other way. There is no other way than by God's grace that people can be saved. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will. According to his good pleasure, which he has purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. We should be to the praise of his glory. So in these verses that we've just read, I want to go back and look at some key elements of this that helps us understand the new covenant work of God. And this is our walk. As you have received the Lord Jesus, Colossians says, as you have received the Lord Jesus, so walk ye in him. So I want to talk about our walk in Jesus as people of the new covenant. And how we received God in Ephesians chapter 2 says we received him by grace through faith. And if that's how we received him by grace through faith, then that's how we walk in him. By grace through faith. Faith is the demonstration of what you believe. A confession that has no demonstration could possibly very well be a dead faith. But the faith that is demonstrating what you believe is certainly a saving faith. And this is wrought by God in you for his glory. God is doing it. 
And so I want you to see what the Lord is doing. And remember Hebrews 13, this God of peace that has power to raise the dead through the blood of the covenant. He makes you. He makes you pleasing, well-pleasing, working these things in his sight, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. It's wonderful to have this almighty God working inside of you. This is the radical, radical thing of, Christi- of Christianity, or, or I might say our relationship with Jesus Christ. The religion of Christianity has been brutal over the centuries, and multitudes are refusing to come to Jesus because of the religion of Christianity. But this relationship of God with His Son Jesus through grace is absolutely phenomenal because that Almighty God is at work in you, and you can't stop Him, can you? It is powerful what God is doing in your life. And so in verse 6, it says this, To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the beloved. He's made us that. He's not winking at our sin, pretending we never did it, but He's actually making us. He has, and He's not really making us, He's made us. It's done. He's made us accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? It's Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So he tells us in verse 6 that he has made us accepted in the beloved. That word accepted is, it means to endue with special honor. To impart to them. To place inside of them special honor. Well, what is that? Well, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, you are a new creature in Jesus Christ. There is a new life inside of you. There is a new position that you have because of the new covenant. You are now a friend of God, a child of God, a priest of God, a king with the Lord in his kingdom. All of these things are not just flippant titles that we like to latch hold of. They are positions and postures that God has given us because we are in relationship with God, not just as king and servant, but father and son. Romans chapter 8 says this. He's given us the Holy Spirit where we can cry, Abba, Father, to the Lord. And so he's made us accepted. He says in verse 7, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's all according to the riches of his grace. By grace, God has made us accepted. God is the legal right To be able to accept us and not contradict his justice. His justice was satisfied on the cross of his son Jesus. And now God can dispense to us grace. He loves us. He is at work for us and in us. He has made us accepted. He doesn't just accept us. But he's made us accepted. He's given us the capacity For actual intimacy with God. He's given you. Listen to this. When he's made you accepted in the beloved. I pray to God the Holy Spirit would give you a revelation of this. But God has actually given you right now the capacity. To be an intimate friend with God. To actually hear him speak. To actually see him move. To actually converse with him. To actually love on him and be loved by him. Not mystically, but very, very real. 
He's made you accepted into his inner court. This is incredible. My heart breaks at the numbers who have no understanding of this. No personal experience of this. Practically whatsoever. And he's done all of this. He's made us accepted through his blood. This is the legal payment for sin. The blood of Jesus is the legal payment for sin. It is not just Jesus suffering and dying and being so abused by the Romans of the Jews 2,000 years ago. On that cross, Jesus was legally paying for sin. So that God's justice would be satisfied and now God can relate himself into a sinful world because it's been redeemed by the blood. It belongs to God now. And so he has forgiven us of our sins because of the blood. And that, that, that forgiveness of our sins is, it means he has erased, listen to this. He has erased all legal accusations against you. He's erased them. They're nowhere to be found. And that just simply means, if you could understand it or picture it this way, if you were to stand at the bar of God and you're being judged, and Satan comes forward as your accuser, which Revelation 12 says he is, and he comes before you as your accuser, and what does Satan bring with him? He doesn't bring a book of lies. He brings the law. And Satan says, he's guilty, God. He's guilty. He's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this, and he's done this. And God opens up the book of accusations, and God's just like going through it. And he's, God's just like, I'm sorry. I, 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 there's nothing. There's no charge. There's, there's, there's no evidence. There's no accusation. And Satan says, what happened to it? And God says, the blood has erased it. It's erased it. Don't you want that? Don't you want this God to be at work in your life? Don't you want him to change you? Get ready. If you come into this new covenant, you're going to be radically changed. Radically changed. And God is going to go to work in your life and do the most amazing things that you could ever imagine possible in your life. And so he tells us this and he abounds to us with this. Verse 9 says that, God has purposed this in himself, and it's his good pleasure. Why is it his good pleasure? Because in the dispensations of the fullness of times, he would be able to gather in one and all things in Christ, in heaven and earth, even everything in him. Verse 11, I want you to see this. In whom also we have obtained, that's a gift. You haven't attained, A, with an A, because that would be working for it. But obtained with an O because it's a gift. You have obtained an inheritance. Being predestinated. This is not Calvinism. It's God's destiny for believers. Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will. So what's God's predestined purpose? God's predestined purpose is to undertake the redemption of sinners and to deal with the sin of this world in such a way that at some point, and I believe in the near future, God is able to gather together unto himself in Christ, both in heaven and earth, all things for this purpose, that we would be to the praise 
of his glory. That we would be to the praise of his glory. That we would be to the praise of his glory. And what is that? The praise of his glory. It's incredible. Moving of God. Verse 4. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's God's destiny for people in the new covenant. This is the destiny I've chosen for everyone in the new covenant. God says, I will bring it to pass. I will do it. And what will he do? You will stand before me holy and without blame. And I did it. Not you. I did it. This is absolutely beautiful. Paul goes into chapter 2 of Ephesians and he echoes this again. And I want you to see this. In verse 7 or or verse 4 he says God's rich in mercy has loved us. When we were dead in our sins, he's quickened us and made us alive. We're saved by grace. He's raised us up together and sit with Christ for this purpose in verse 7. And this is just an expounding from chapter 1 that in the ages to come, to to read this because this is tremendous, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What does God want to do for you today? Today, God wants to show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward you through Jesus Christ. He wants to do that Monday as well. But I assure you, on any given day, any one of us will wake up, go through our day, and go to bed that night, never recognizing The abundance of his kindness because we do not exercise our capacity to be intimate friends with God. And therefore we live carnally rather than spiritually. We have no relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. Though we have the Holy Spirit, we live more out of the flesh. And we're trying to make ourselves behave and we're trying to do some great things for God. And hopefully we can be satisfied at the end of the day. And we go back to Moses. Almost every given day. We go back to Moses. And we live our Christian lives like this. Up and down. Up and down. Up and down. Never at rest. Lacking assurance. Lacking confidence. Because we so much. Most of the time we dwell on ourselves. Rather than Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, this is really good. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Isn't that good? Not the churches, not your counselors, not your pastors. You're his workmanship. Now, please understand, God knows who's his. And not everybody is. And not everybody that goes to church is in the new covenant. But God knows those that are. And God knows those who are in Christ. And those who are in Christ are enjoying the work of God in their life. 
And it is radically changing them. And they are God's workmanship. Listen to this. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So back to my point. If you're in grace, does that mean you don't have to read your Bible? You don't have to go to church? You don't have to go to prayer meeting? You don't have to live a life following after Jesus? No. God is working in you. You're his, you're his project. And he's created you in Christ Jesus for these good works. So absolutely these things are going to be in your life. And God has before ordained that you should walk in them. And so you have to remember where you were before this and now what God is doing in your life. And if I could, I would like to close in Colossians chapter 1. Because this is a companion chapter to what we've been reading in Ephesians. And I I want you to see this. I just want you to see the, the, the good pleasure of God to save you. The good pleasure of God to institute a covenant that did not depend upon your performance. But it depended upon the performance of God the Father and God the Son who are both absolutely perfect and cannot fail. Therefore, it is ratified as eternal covenant and your entrance into the, this covenant is being born again. And when you're born again, it's not a sentence that you prayed. It's not even being dunked in water at some point in your past. It is a radical invasion of the almighty God into your life. You cannot live like you used to live. Things are happening in you. Forgiveness, for one. Love. Sacrifice joyfully for the cause of Christ. And so he says this in Colossians 1 verse 5. Or I'll begin in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Whereof you heard before in, in the word of the truth of the gospel. There is a hope that is laid up for believers in heaven. What is it? Well, what I love so much about the Bible is it doesn't give you the latitude, if you will, to make your own interpretation. It will tell you. Keep reading, and you will find out what that hope is in heaven. And obviously, the people in Colossae were struggling. They were struggling with their experience of life, and they were struggling with... The truth of the gospel. That I have been made accepted. That I have been forgiven. That I am pardoned. That Jesus is made to be holiness and righteousness and peace and wisdom. All of these things are there. However, I find myself struggling with temptation. I find myself struggling with unforgiveness. I find myself struggling with bitterness. I find myself wrestling with lust and even falling into these lusts. What is wrong with me? I want the work of God in my life. I know these things to be contrary to the life of Christ. And I want the life of Christ. And I don't want these things going on in my life. But I find this battle raging in me. And so their experience of life and their confession and the declaration of the gospel seem to run into each other aggressively, right? You know what I'm talking about. 
And so Paul says, listen, this is your hope in heaven. It's not the hope that you get to heaven. You know you're going to get there. This is your hope when you get there. Your hope in heaven is this. And he tells you in the same chapter. Verse 20. And having made peace through the blood of his cross. By him to reconcile all things to himself. By him I say. Whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled. And so you were separated from God, you were an alien, you were an enemy of God in your mind. And certainly you understand this, certainly you've run into this. You've run into it as a believer when you meet unbelievers. You've probably wrestled with these things in your own personal life, you know. Whereas, let's say you were, a, you were not a Christian, you were just living the life that you lived. And you could watch movies, and, and these movies had the F-bomb in it, took the Lord's name in vain. Had some mild nudity in it. And you were lost, and you would say, oh, it's okay. I hear that every day. I hear it every day at work. I hear it every day in the world. It's okay. No big deal. You, you don't even think about it. You're probably not even contemplating it then you get saved and now that you're saved you sit there and you watch that same movie and you're disturbed this is not right why am i listening to this at work i can't help it but at home i'm putting it on this is not right something inside me is grieved what is that it's the law of god written on your heart and written in your mind And now there's a conflict. Here's the deal. You're no longer an enemy of God in your mind. Before you were saved, you were because you said, this is fine. That's an enemy of God. It's just like people out in the world today that want to say there's what's a woman, what's a man, LGBT, all these types. There's nothing wrong with that. They're not trying to shake their fist at God. It's just in their mind. This is fine. But that thought is an enemy of God. And when that life gets saved and God writes his law in their mind, then they begin to realize something wrong with this. This is just not right. And that's really repentance. It's coming to a right mind, right? And so we as Christians could do the same thing because we would say, oh, we're not pagans. All right, we're not, we're not living that way. So what, what about your mind right now? God says, I want you to draw closer to me in intimacy. I I really desire for the gifts of my spirit to work through your life. I have a purpose in this world for the fame of my son, Jesus Christ, and I can't do it without you. I need you at the prayer meeting. And your mind says, it's okay if I don't go. I don't need to be there. It's no big deal. I don't need to be in the altar. They're just up there for show anyway. I don't need to do this. I don't need to do that. You know, I'm not comfortable with this Holy Ghost gift stuff. And that mind is an enemy of God. And that born-again life at some point knows that. 
I know God is requiring this. I'm interested. Maybe you're scared. God, I'm scared. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know much about this. I, I, I don't know how to walk in that. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to get in front of people in an altar. I, I don't know about going to prayer meetings and these types of things. I just feel like, you know, if I do this, then everything's fine. And, and, and our minds are making our decisions rather than the Holy Spirit, who is grace at work, leading us in how we're going to live this life that pleases the Father. And so the people in Colossae were wrestling with this. This was their battle. They were going through it just like we do. They were, they were battling this. And so Paul says, and he assures them, we have a hope in heaven. And the next verse, he talks about that hope in heaven. And he says, this is it. He says that we were enemies, but we're reconciled. Verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death. To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If you continue in the faith. You don't have to continue in the faith. But if you do, then this new covenant makes a proclamation. It's your destiny and God's going to do it. God is going to see that it's done I'm going to present you in the sight of my Holy Father, holy, unreprovable, and unblameable. And that word present means to put on exhibition, to thoroughly examine. But you're not going to be put on an exhibition of your life, what you did. Jesus... His work in you is what's on exhibition. And you're going to stand before God. You're going to stand in the sight of the holy God. And the holy God, Jesus, is going to stand beside you. And he's going to say, Father, I want to show you the work of my grace. The work of our grace. And now I present to you leadership. And with all of the conflict I have in my life, on any given day, I know that when I stand there in the blood of Jesus, there's not one thing I'm going to be reproved about. There's not one thing I'm going to be blamed for. I will stand holy as he is holy because he has given me his holiness. That is my hope in heaven. That Jesus did it. And I know that he did it. That's why I follow him. That's why I believe him. That's why I love him. And he loves me. And so I ask you, do you have saving faith? Do you really have saving faith? And most people want to go to heaven when they die. I'm going to talk about this next. Most people want to go to heaven when they die. Carl, if you'd come up. But saving faith is a faith that agrees with God. And what is, the, what is the predetermined will of God that you look like my son? And it's more than going to heaven. My faith wants to look like Jesus. I want to be like him. And I believe that God can do it. And so I will cooperate with him. And I will not faint and give up when I've failed a thousand times. I will believe that God can do it, and he will do it. 
So I just want to ask you if we can to take a moment and pray. And you just sit before the Lord as Carla leads us in a little worship. And I, I ask you this, as, as if you just pray with me right now. Are you in the new covenant or the old covenant? It's one or the other. And if you're trying to mix the two, you're going to lose everything. How many of you would just say this morning, I want Almighty God to invade my life. I desire to be in the new covenant. I desire to be washed in the blood of Jesus and my sins washed away and that you would write your law in my heart and in my mind. I desire to be made like Jesus. I desire to be your workmanship, God. And that I might live a life of faith that demonstrates your work in my life. I desire the rest that comes from the new covenant and not the labor of the flesh it's always trying to perform to be somebody Jesus is the somebody period I just want to be in him and I want to be like him and I pray father that you help everyone in this room discern where they are whether they're in the new covenant or whether they're in the old covenant or whether they're mixing the two help them discern it so that Lord they may awake with your likeness and not shock and fear wondering how did I get here let them know that the spirit and the bride say come all who will come they'll find their life in just take a moment, worship, pray, discern the will of the Lord, discern what the Holy Spirit is saying. Awake the capacities in you to have intimacy with God. Begin now. Pray in the Holy Ghost and seek the Lord by the Spirit of God.